This is the Coaching and Mentoring Podcast. My name is Dave T, Chair of the Wales Coaching Centre at the University of South Wales. We provide coaching, mentoring and supervision. We work with individual practitioners to develop their coaching and mentoring expertise and with organisations to help their coaching and mentoring practice to flourish. Our guest today is Maria Illifwood. Maria is an executive and leadership team coach and coach supervisor, author of Coaching Presence and the new book Daily Yarns, Riding the Lockdown Roller Coaster of Emotions. A very human and engaging read. Hi there, Maria. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you very, very much for being here with us. In this episode, we're going to explore presence and well-being, how the two of them are intertwined and what that means for your coaching practice. Maria, I often find it useful if we start off by you telling our listeners a bit about your background and how you first became involved with coaching, please. Okay, yes. I I need to have a really good memory for that. (laughs) Because I think my first coach training happened in 1988 when I was a first-line supervisor in a bank. And the, the bank that I worked in was really, really good at providing training. And so I went on a week's training program, a, a coaching training. And at the end of the week, I thought, ah, oh, I'm a coach now. So little did I know <laughs> what was actually involved in coaching. But I was really pleased that I did think that about myself because then I just went ahead and thought, right, I'm going to I'm going to coach people. And I just found that it was the best way as a leader, as a manager, to get the best out of my teams. So it's a long time ago that I started um, coaching and I did a lot of training as part of working for the bank and just I was just a learning development nut and just went on every single uh, training course that was ever made available and a lot of it was coaching related but it wasn't until I left to start my own business and coaching business that I actually went and got myself a qualification and that was hugely beneficial then as well I already thought I was a coach and I still had so much more to learn and I think the, the more I've learned, the more I've realized it's a never ending process. And I love it. The joy of the hiker climbing up to what they think is the peak of the mountain, only to see another crest <laughs> revealing itself on the yeah, horizon. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and it's a good job you can't see the, the hill that's beyond the hill, beyond the hill, because otherwise you might never start. But <laughs> <laughs> I do want to ask about the four different modes of coaching presence, but I'm aware from your biography that you say when you speak about presence now, it's more about what you've come to understand of it since you've written the book. Mm-hmm. So we will come on to those modes, but let's start by, if you don't mind, you telling us what presence is in a coaching context and why it is so very important. What's interesting to me when I reflect back about the time when I was writing the book is I didn't realize I was writing about presence until almost you know, I was a long way into writing the book before I actually realized what it was. And initially the book was the, the working title of the book was always The Invisible Coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I was writing about that and invisibility and visibility in coaching and how much of you as a person you're bringing into the coaching relationships. And it wasn't until later as you, anybody who's done any kind of reflective writing will start to realize that you learn through the writing like it's as much a learning process as it is a, as a writing and, and 
putting down on paper what you um, what you know already. You learn so much through that. And so as I was um, writing the book, I was really reflecting on my in 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 quite some detail my own coaching. And it wasn't until much later I started to realize that this was presence, and it was all to do with the coach's presence. And so what's what's been happening um, since then is that I thought I was going to go on and learn about um, different aspects because the book identified some gaps in my learning. Mm-hmm. But what happened is that since I published the book, my learning has gone more and more deeper into that part of us that is present in the coaching relationship when kind of the transformation happens in coaching and what I realized is over the years is that the the presence of the coach and the individual that you're working with it's not just a one-way thing is where the magic happens in coaching we're thinking it's the tools and the techniques and the interventions that we're using but mm. it seems to me more like it's the relationship that really makes the difference and our state of mind that really makes the difference. And so when we're in the moment, in the here and now, without any mental chatter, like we're really focused on uh, what's going on for the client and listening, we're in, we're coming from a place within us that is not, for me, it's like it's not in our head. We're coming from, it's almost like a heartfelt place. And coming from that place, we have a, a different uh, way of being in the relationship which then coming from that place then we do all of the things that are in the different modes like the modes are looking at the behavior and the presence is what's underpinning all of the behavior it's not the behavior that is the presence it's the the inner inner wisdom mm-hmm. that the the place within ourselves where all of that comes from so if we if we're not present with our clients and our co- and our clients are not present with us then the transformation is not likely to happen because what's when they when people are not present when they've got they're paying attention to all the mental chatter that's going on in their heads they're not able to see the wood for the trees which is where they where the success of our coaching comes from when people start to see the wood for the trees and the thing that um, that I realized is, as I was Kind of reflecting and thinking about today and the blog that I'm writing to go to go with this is that like without realizing it and without necessarily being conscious that this is what they're doing, the first thing every coach does when they start with a client in a client session is help the client to be present. Mm-hmm. So like when the client arrives, often with a very busy mind, what the coach does often intuitively is they'll chat with the person, they'll stay calm, you know, they might talk about the weather and holidays and, you know, all stuff like that. And they're waiting for the client's mind to settle before they start doing the real work of coaching. Because intuitively, we all know that there's no point working with the client until their mind is quieter. You have recently written a book about your experience of uh, living through the lockdown and i'm very much aware about how much coaching has migrated from a you know face-to-face conversation to a distanced electronically mediated relationship be it through zoom or skype or whatever it happens to Mm. be i'm wondering what effect you feel this movement to online coaching has on this important notion of presence 
It's interesting you ask that because I started using Zoom um, long before the pandemic. So I'd kind of got used to doing that. We did a, a lot of work um, in other countries as well via Zoom. And, and for a period of time, I used to think that the Zoom and the technology was forming like a barrier between me and the, the person that I was working with. And it wasn't until much later, there was a point where I suddenly realized, oh, I don't feel that barrier anymore. And it was it was partly just to do with the fact that I wasn't used to using Zoom um, and wasn't used to using technology. And I prefer face to face. Like who doesn't? We all prefer to work face to face with our mm-hmm. clients. Um, so it felt like the the technology and everything was a barrier to to really making that connection. What happened when the pandemic hit is, of course, everything went um, online. And what I found was, and I don't know if it's to do with people starting to be used to doing doing Zoom or because the the whole world, like the whole um, structure and everything, it's like the roots of our tree had been substantially shaken. And what I found was in the, especially in the early days, is like the conversations all of a sudden were getting very deep very quickly. And I, I think that it's still, it's as possible to have that connection and that presence even over technology. Because it's not to do with the technology, it's to do with the state of mind that we're coming from and the state mm. of mind that we're in. And so for a period of time, the unfamiliarity with the technology was getting in the way of my state of mind and my presence. And then somewhere along the line, and I think this is how it works with learning tools and techniques as well. We learn tools and techniques while we're going through all our training. And at some point, we, we let go of them. We stop trying to work out how to do the the, the technique or the tool or the, the model or whatever it is that we're using in the way that we were taught and start to use it more intuitively because we've, we've let go of the thinking that we've got about it, which enables us to be more in the moment and use it more intuitively. So I think the same thing applies with the, um, you know, um, coaching people through the technology. I think lots more people are getting used to it now. And they might still have a preference for face-to-face and are looking forward to it, that the connection can be really deep, even online. What a marvellously resilient species human beings are. And it brings me to mind that so often in coaching conversations, our clients might reveal to us any uh, limiting assumptions or beliefs they have about their capabilities and often it can fall to us as coaches maybe to be the ones to constructively challenge that and to raise their self-awareness about just all the things that they are actually capable of absolutely this is like this is the point like we've got like every single one of us have got the inbuilt creativity and resilience to be able to handle whatever gets thrown at us we kind of get caught up in the thinking that we're not dealing with stuff really very well at all because we're paying attention to a lot of the mental chatter. But we're designed to be able to deal with all of these things, and we do, but we don't give ourselves any credit for it. Mm. And so what I'm pointing people to, to more and more in the work that I do with them is that inbuilt resilience that they have. So instead of thinking about all the times when they've got it wrong, let's look at the times when you got it right and when it worked and when you... When you did that, you know, people go through really, really dark experiences and come through the other side um, and they're changed forever because of it. And, and like, 
we've all got a wisdom and what stops us from accessing this wisdom is the stuff that we have going on in our heads about it. Okay, let's move on now to the notion of these four different modes of presence that coaches might work with during a coaching conversation. And your book, Coaching Presence, I mean, we could take hours exploring each of these. So I'm going to be slightly stingy with time and ask you, please, Maria, for a very high-level overview, please, about each of these four modes. And if you could just explain to our listeners what each of them is, please. The way that I look at them is if we use the analogy of the coach and the coachee as the driver and the passenger in a car, and the coachee is the driver and the coach is the passenger. So the, the four different modes are invisible, emergent, evident, and visible. And each mode is kind of the next stage up from the previous one in terms of um, how much steering, how much directing, how much of our own input we're putting into the uh, into the coaching relationship. So if we take them in order, and they're not in an order because what we do is we switch in and out of them constantly. There's there's not it's not a linear um, process. But from it, from the invisible coach mode, it's like if you're the the coach is the passenger. What you're doing is you're sitting in the passenger seat and the coachee is driving and they know where they want to go and you're kind of letting them go whichever way they want to do that, you know, the direction. It's all down to them, but you're really interested in what's going on. You're paying attention to what they're doing and how they're doing it and all that kind of thing, but you're not intervening. You're just being there for the for the person. If we then move on to emergent mode, what we're doing is the equivalent of giving the driver a map. So it can be an A to Z map or an ordnance survey map, but it's a, it's, the map is like a tool or a technique. So you might get them drawing or you might do a piece of chair work or you might get them looking at it from a, you know, from a, a grow point or whatever we're, we're doing. We give them a tool or a technique in order for them to be able to see more clearly the terrain and then but they're still then deciding where they go and how they get there and what they're going to do so then we move on to the evident mode this is a really fast going through this is that so now what we're doing is we're um, sharing more of our own thoughts and ideas about what the driver should and shouldn't be doing and which way they should be going so we might say things like in the literal sense Okay, so we're going to Edinburgh. You know, I've been to Edinburgh before. I took this route, and when I went this way, it wasn't a very good experience. There was a load of roadworks going on, and then I went this way, and it was really lovely. There was beautiful scenery, but still, the driver still decides which route they're going to go. Like, so what we're doing is we're sharing our knowledge, our feelings, our emotions. We might be sharing what we're noticing, the client saying, or what the what the the client seems to be doing with their body physically, you know, all kinds of things that we're sharing that we're noticing about what's going on. And then the visible mode is like we're saying to the to the coachee, the driver, go this way, go that way. No, don't do this, look at this. And so what we're doing is we're taking a much more directive role in where they the client goes in terms of what they're exploring or that kind of thing. And also part of that is also we're steering the process because we're responsible for holding the coaching process. So we're steering them to a conclusion in each of the um, coaching sessions. So we're always 
doing elements of all of these modes. But even, even with the visible coach mode, at the end of the day, it's still the driver, the coachee, who decides where they're going to go and what they're going to do. So I find that's just a really easy way of kind of explaining the difference between the, the four modes. You will use all of them at different stages. And one of the things that's useful to do is look to see, you know, are there any particular modes that you don't use very much? Mm-hmm. And for me personally, what I realized over the years is that I did less of the evident mode, less of the sharing. And I actually do more sharing than I used to do before because all four modes are useful at different at different times. This is something that I've realized since writing the book is that the behaviors come from the presence as opposed to the behavior being the presence. And I think it it relates also back to, you know, how NLP came about where they modeled, they modeled a couple of people, didn't they? Modeled Fritz Pills and and, and somebody. Yeah. And so as they were observing and modeling, they could see the behaviors. But my take on it is that 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 those people were doing intuitively and it was coming from their presence and the and the behaviors are the things that we can see so i think what happens is we think it's the behaviors that's doing it but it's it's the presence that's not but it's really helpful having all of those behaviors because you can practice the behaviors and over time you let go of them being a behavior and you fall into the presence it's kind of it works both ways because we're such brilliant designed human beings i'm aware that bandler and grinder you know when they started modeling excellence one of the first people that they used was milton h erickson the famous hypnotherapist and they did the two volumes of the patterns in the hypnotic language that he used and they invited erickson to write the foreword for volume one and if you go back and read his introduction now in so many words he's basically saying I didn't know what I was actually doing when I was working with my clients until I read this book where they've scripted it all out for me. It was so embedded yeah. and intuitive for him. I love that. I'd not heard that before. <laughs> and we did promise our listeners at the, the, the start of the conversation that we would relate all of this to the notion of well-being. Um, so let's formally invite that into the conversation. Um, tell me, please, how might we as coaches use the concept of presence when working in the area of client well-being? Well, the thing is, like every single coach who's working in coaching are already doing it. This is the thing about presence. And I think what, what I want to do and what I do with the coaches that I work with is I keep drawing their attention to the presence, their presence when they're doing it, because it's so ordinary it's not rocket science so it gets really overlooked but the more people and coaches notice it happening the more it happens and the, so a they're already doing it b like every single time they go into a coaching session they're doing it because they're staying calm and they're inviting their clients to become calm in whichever way that they do that because obviously there's lots of different ways people do that and the thing that i realized um and and i actually honestly and truly only just realized this as I was writing the blog for, for, for you guys, is that every single coach, no matter what they state they're doing, you know, it, there could be a marketing coach or a strategic leadership coach or a life coach or whatever it is that they're doing, 
every single coach is already in the business of well-being. Because the invitation that they're offering to their clients is for their clients to fall into their innate sense of mental well-being, because that's when they can really see the issues that they're being coached around more clearly. So in, the invitation from every single coach is for the client to fall into their mental well-being before they can do the work that they want to be doing. So coaches are already doing this. And I think the more people and coaches notice that side of it, it, it shifts and changes their, their work that they do with their clients. Like the way that my work has changed with the with the clients is like I still do leadership coaching and I still do coach supervision, but I'm still pointing them now more and more into in the direction of look at your state of mind. What was going on in your mind when that was going on or when this was going on? See the difference and people start to see the difference between how they deal with a situation from their well-being and how they deal with their situation from a, a head full of mental chatter. Yeah. And the more people start to see that, the more able they are to to look at any issue that they've got. So every single coach helps their client's mind to settle down first before they start doing the work. Excellently put. Yes, the uh, joy of noticing. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people ask then, okay, so what, what can I do now in order to make my presence better? What can I do? And that's always the answer I give is like notice. But the thing for me now is that I've realized it's like, you don't notice your presence when you're present. You only notice it on reflection afterwards. Because while we're thinking about presence, we're not being present. And as soon as we start thinking about it, we're not, we're not there. But what happens is we fall into it, mm-hmm. like we get completely engrossed in what's going on with the client and because we're not thinking about what we're doing or how we're doing it, and we're not paying attention to the mental chatter, we're already present. Mm-hmm. Then afterwards, we reflect on it and go, oh, yeah, that was, that was present. And then reflecting on that, those moments when you fell into presence enables you to see how it works and, and, it, and it enables you to let go of the stuff that stops you being present, which then allows you to fall present. But for me, I used to think presence was something that I did but now I realize it's something that just it happens when everything else, when I let go of everything else. So it sounds very much like you're emphasizing the importance of reflective practice for coaches in helping us to raise our own awareness of uh, yes. how one is rather than what one does. Yeah, really good point. Yeah, I think I learned so much through reflective practice. And I mean, that was how the book came about, like a really, really detailed, in-depth, reflective practice on my own coaching. Um, and and even now, it's like I write pretty much every day. And most of it is because I see so much. It's like something comes through in writing, especially, um, that really helps me to see. I mean, what we're looking at here, what we're talking about is how life works, Um like really seeing more and more about how life works. And, and that's the beauty of this, you know, what we were talking about earlier. We are never, ever going to get to understand completely how life works, but the exploration and the reflection is fascinating. And, and what we do is like we just keep on scratching the surface of understanding. Um, and at some point, maybe in 
you know, I don't know how many lifetimes away from here now. Maybe we will understand it completely, but I don't think in my lifetime it's going to happen. <laughs> Can I just say something else about reflective practice as well? Because when I did my first university qualification, like I was forced into written reflective practice and I hated it with a vengeance. Uh, but I am so glad that I was forced into doing it because now it forms the bedrock of all of my learning, the written reflective practice. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, finally, please, Maria, uh, we always like to finish by asking our guests, what's one new or an emerging idea within the world of coaching that particularly is exciting or intriguing you at the moment? I'm not, I don't know that it's coming from the world of coaching. I don't know where I kind of picked this up from, but the thing that's really fascinating me at the moment is not knowing. So I'm actually going to be doing a, a talk, I can't remember, not in the not too distant future anyway. And the topic for that talk is coaching from the unknown into the unknown. Because the more that I see that I don't know, like I don't know what's going to make a difference to the client that I'm working with. I don't know what's going on in their head. I don't know what insights that they're going to have. So I'm really, really playing with the idea of not knowing anything at all and just see where that takes me. That's just really interesting to me. Yes. And I, I love the lines from William Shakespeare's As You Like It. Uh, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, Maria. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. No, thank you, Dave. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been lovely. This podcast is brought to you by the Wales Coaching Centre based at the University of South Wales. We are a centre of excellence for coaching and mentoring, here to support the development and growth of coaches and coaching through training, qualifications, conferences, CPD events, and our community of practice. To find out more, just search USW Coaching and Mentoring.